Welcome to Life Talk. Life Talk is a weekly podcast specifically designed to provide helpful insights, timely tools, and inspirational ideas to lift, encourage, and challenge. This week's podcast is an excerpt taken from the book entitled An Autumn's Journey Deep Growth in the Grief and Loss of Life's Seasons. Loss can be utterly devastating. We can lose a family, or a marriage, or a job, or a friendship. We can lose other things like hope or faith or confidence in ourselves or belief in our purpose. We can lose a loved one to an untimely death or a terminal illness or an unfortunate accident or simply to time and age. Regardless of the loss, we must grieve whatever it is that we once had. And if we simply focus on the loss or the unfairness of the loss or the impact of the loss on us or others, we will miss the opportunities for growth inherent in the loss. Therefore, we must remember that there is great purpose in great pain. I hope that you enjoy this week's excerpt from An Autumn's Journey. The front porch was the door to the world out there. As a kid, it was the stepping off point to the world that never forced us to step off. It was the place through which the outside world would come into mine, monitored and managed in a way that didn't make the world safe, but that paired and neutered it sufficiently to make it safe whenever it was granted entrance. As a kid, other than it being huge, I didn't know everything that was out beyond the oak planks and cement steps. What I knew however, was that the front porch would unflinchingly manage its entrance into my life. It was a rarely used place because I found the solace of the home much better than the turmoil of a world I didn't understand. The front porch was that first step out into that world, the threshold to whatever was out there. I suppose it was something akin to witnessing terribly frightening realities from a vantage point of absolute safety. Vulnerability rendered neutral either by safety or the sturdy knowledge that safety breached would not be unsafe at all on the porch. That's what made it the safest place of all. It was the stepping off point to a big world that I knew little of. It seemed like the portal from the safety and embracing warmth of my world to whatever lay out there, fixed and firm, but never naive. In the child of my mind, the front porch edged right up to the world, but it held me perfectly safe and completely secure all the while. It provided me a front row seat as the happiness and horror of life paraded by, holding me, it seemed, entirely in perfect peace. I loved the front porch. George Moore astutely pointed out that a man travels the world over in search of what he needs and returns home to find it. Somehow I knew that I would someday step off the front porch and go out there into whatever the world was and that the journey would eventually return me to this place. But for now, it was a magical and certain haven on the sidelines of life. Fall always graced the front porch with vibrantly colored leaves from the massive maples that lined the street 
as mammoth sentries. Hardwood behemoths, they would rain color. Drops of searing reds falling in torrents when the wind blew firm. Blown onto the front porch, they spun in royal eddies, dancing with abandon as the wind courted them with a mix of tease and intention. The turn of the seasons always invited me to the front porch to watch fall hand itself off to winter. You could watch it all safely from the front porch, as you could watch anything. It was, it seemed, somehow the best of all worlds. With three or four bulbous pumpkins, several stalks of dried corn cinched tight with flax cords, a ragged bale of hay and a handful of incandescent leaves as trimming, we would dress the front porch for fall. It became a stage of sorts from which we would celebrate the departure of fall, pulling onto the front porch all of the assorted things that symbolize the season. It was all staged right there on the oak tongue-and-groove flooring. We said goodbye from the safety of that place, acknowledging a passing from the kind of distant that the front porch afforded us. There were other dying eyes the weekend my mom died, one pair so much younger and entirely unexpected. I met them on the front porch. It's not a long front porch, other than being long with the kind of miles that memories pave, lines generous with so much of my childhood, if memories were to define its breath, it would stretch beyond any home to contain it. The tongue and groove flooring is yet firm, having welcomed and ushered feet both wandering and intentional to a sturdy oak door for nearly 100 years. Friends, visitors, and strangers have all crossed its planking in order to engage the family within, that defining portal to the world out there. How do you grasp a place framed by towering pines and muscular maples whose width and breadth hem you in above and around? Beyond the reach of their canopies, a sweeping lawn paints a tender green expanse mottled with the glory of fall scattered about in leaves of gold, explosive reds, and scintillating orange. Out Past the fringes of its grassy mantle stand more forest behemoth that seem to challenge the enormity of the sky itself. The old porch is surrounded by a mantle of nature's best. How do you engage a place that sits back just far enough from a sleepy street to muse as the world goes by while finding ample space between you and it? What do you do with hedges? Thickets and sweeping canopies thick with the chatter and chorus of birds singing out of the sheer rapture of living. What do you do with squirrels that skirt precariously on thin limbs as if taking no notice of the peril they place themselves at, leaping vast expanses of air from one forest behemoth to another? What do you do when life affords you just such a place? But what do you do with it when you've engaged the sordid world out there in ways entirely unimagined by the childlike mind that staged fall on its expanse? What do you do when it seems no longer a porthole because you've stepped out so far beyond it that you can never step 
back to the other side of it. Even when in your most dire moments you desperately wish that you could do so. What do you do with something that provided the most gracious and sacrificial protection imaginable, but whose role seems to have been long terminated by time, circumstance, and this mysterious thing that we call adulthood? What do you do? If something this grand and yet this quiet is afforded you, then I would presume that you needed it. If you don't think that you needed it, there's a good chance that you're obviously oblivious to your own needs or you're oblivious to the provision God affords us in our times of need. David sings, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge. Weave the metaphors and realities of our rock, fortress, and deliverer together, and we have an impenetrable place of deep and certain refuge. We all need such a place for times as those that were about to defall me. We need a front porch. Is there always a front porch of some sort or other? Can there be a consistent place of unexplainable solitude that provides us a place of refuge? Can Garad carve out this kind of oasis in the midst of the most searing grief, an oasis that does not remove us from our grief, but gives us complete sanctuary in it, that lets life move and circle all around us, but provides us tranquility in it? More than that, do we need a place of such solitude and security that allows us to invite grief right into the middle of it, knowing that this place is so secure that nothing can shake it even when it is invited into the heart of it? Is that possible? I am with you always. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, says the Bible. We may find great relief and inexplicable solace in purposefully looking beyond grief in the midst of our grief in order to determine the provision made within it. Grief is consuming, wrestling away the sum total of our attention and energies in order to deal with it and attempt to flee from it. If grief becomes our focus, the hand of God is something other than our focus. We don't think to look for any provision as grief assumes none. Grief assumes a process by which grief is navigated and resolved, a process which rarely assumes a place from which to do it. Grief renders us vulnerable, which leaves us with the assumption that the struggle is ours alone. Grief calls us out. It strips us naked. It renders us helpless in our helplessness. It assumes little else and it does little else. Yet, what kind of front porch has God given us in the midst of our grief? Into it all, Paul walked onto my front porch and into my life again. He had walked into my life some 35 years earlier as a dear childhood friend, settling into my developmental years, navigating the tumultuous journey of adolescence alongside me until I left home for whatever it is that calls young men outward and sometimes upward. However, the demands of living and this scurrying about that seemed so much wasted energy had long drawn us apart. He had changed over the gaping hole of 26 years since we had last said goodbye. 
The Paul that I knew was gone, but there all at the same time. After over two and a half decades of unforgivable separation, Paul came by to visit. Sitting there on that same front porch, we shared the passing of time and events, of life unfolding for each of us, mostly in ways unexpected. The unanticipated and circular journey that led us from that front porch and back again decades later. Trials and successes, painful failures and lost relationships, dreams realized and other dreams that we surrendered to the cold hands of reality. We talked about life through the eyes of middle age, when the ever-increasing distance from the past rolls dim off some subconscious horizon of our minds, while the shortening days of the end of it all draws ever sharper. It was all amazingly rich. In a few moments, the years seemed erased. With friendship rejoined, Paul gazed into my eyes with a thick pause wrapped in an unexplainable intensity. With a frankness that belied the length of his own struggle, he cast a longing glance at the hardy trees that surrounded the front porch, ran his finger around the ring of his coffee cup, drew a breath of sweet fall air, and muttered that he was dying. It was not some sort of speculation that there might be a cure, or that the treatment might yet stop the advance of cancer that relentlessly pushed forward on multiple fronts throughout his body. It was the surrender of a valiant warrior who felt that the battle might not be fighting cancer, but closing out a middle-aged life in front of an audience of friends and family as a man of integrity, faith, and bravery. It was not about survival anymore, but about legacy. His condition was terminal. Terminal is such a final word. It's the ultimate period that's put at the end of the last sentence on the final page of the book. Nothing follows it other than nothingness. Its finality is so unfathomable that you have no alternative except to hope that it really might have been mistaken for a comma, that it's some other sort of punctuation about the person's life that might legitimately suggest a pause before moving on again. But terminal? How I wished it was something other than the chilling finality of a period. My mind instantly teetered, tipped in the emotional imbalance, and then plummeted. Whirling in wild gyrations, Paul's face immediately blurred and spun. A thousand memories, Variant clips and fragmented mementos of our shared childhood raced across the forefront of my mind at speeds that were emotionally deafening. My heart dropped so far that I had no sense of it any longer. An emotional paralysis humanly halted it all. And then Paul's voice, soft and firm, grounded me. He said, you don't need to say anything. Just thanks for listening, and thanks for the years we had. The words, so needed, were wrapped in a silken veneer of complete peace that gently wrapped itself around me. My mother was ours from death. Paul was two months or so away from the same thing. I bore both on that front porch. 
stunned and pummeled twice. Blackness had fallen once and then once again. Sometimes you're convinced that life has struck you sufficiently for it seems that its task is irrefutably crushing hope and driving you into some sort of trackless abyss that has been so thorough that there is nothing left to destroy or maim. But sometimes life strikes twice, insanely attempting to kill that which has already been killed, finding some savage and sadistic pleasure in touting its victory and superiority by striking one more needless blow on its way back to wherever it came from. If life doesn't make sense, it's at times like these. Struck with a deafening blow by the pending passing of my mother and sent reeling again by Paul's disclosure, I was dead center in that place, crowned zero in grief. In those places there is no sense of bearing, of true north, to at least know where you're at. Most of the time when we talk about being lost, we have some general sense of direction that provides us a place to start heading off to. We at least have some vague and diffused sense of where to go. But being truly lost is nothing of the sort. It's having absolutely no idea where you're at, because where you're at is a place you've never been before and could never have believed existed, except for the fact that you're now there. It's having no idea where you should go, because all that was once familiar is now terrifyingly unfamiliar and entirely uncertain, rendering the place that you need to go as unknown. All of this takes on the horror of a rapidly escalating panic as we suddenly realize that we are utterly and irrevocably alone in it all. Life at its worst isolates us because the more devastating it is, the more unique our experience in it. We become abjectly alone. That's lost. It, it is a rare, horrible, and deathly place that engulfed me on the front porch that day. It was all too much had I not bore the immensity of this while sitting on that front porch, that place of deep solace wrapped in the majesty of trees and the thick arms of God. The front porch offered me a place of solace to watch two people that I loved embrace the reality of a world that is turning and turning dramatically. Oddly and unexpectedly, it was in the watching that I finally began to find my way out of the lostness. Both were dying with great grace and valor. There was nothing of surrender in it all. Surrender implies a weakness that renders us inadequate in conquering that which stands before us. Rather, death with honor and a chaste spirit was hardly weakness. It was bravery of the greatest sort. And on that front porch, surrounded by this place of refuge that God had granted me, I could see it all with great clarity and conviction. It was not about searching for some path out of the lostness. It was all about watching. The keys and the compass were handed to me in the very things that had thrust me out and down into the abyss that I had plummeted into. Pain frequently results in panic. Panic seeks an immediate resolution and remedy by whatever means that revolution and remedy 
can be achieved. Panic frequently leads to a flailing and an impulsivity that only deepens and constricts the darkness that wraps itself around us with long, constricting and chilling fingers. I watched Mom and Paul courageously course their way through the onset of death, deciding to face it head-on with defiance and daring. They had each embraced a posture of bravery and faith, seizing the inevitable, turning death on itself by celebrating and cheering past victories and savoring the innumerable gifts life had lavished on them. It became the recitation of glories, gains, and gifts, and deeply flowing gratitude. It was the most genuine celebration of life that I had ever witnessed. I could not grasp it and felt that if I were the one facing death, that I would be absolutely nothing of what they were. It was joyous and marvelous, mixed into some sort of wild and terribly rare concoction that I had no right to sip, but I was handed it by the glass full nonetheless. Virgil stated, they can conquer who believe they can. Conquering for mom and Paul was about seizing the apparent untimely arrival of death and choosing a posture of celebration and savoring. I confess my inability to grasp it other than I know it to be real because I watched them grasp it. They seized it in a manner that not only ministered to them but ministered to others as well. They believed they could conquer and conquer they did. It was in this that I instantly found my bearings, both where I was and where I desperately wanted to go. Lostness dissipated by simply watching. The birds seemed to hold their songs for a moment, and the trees leaned ever so slightly as if to hear a heart grasp a profound reality. The porch provided me the place. The examples provided me both keys and compass. In the end, those keys and that compass allowed me to find myself so thoroughly and center myself so precisely that my sense of myself was honed sharper than it had ever been. It was nothing short of stunning and astounding. My God, the high crag where I run for dear life, hiding behind the boulders, safe in the granite hideout, my mountaintop refuge, says the Bible. Carefully listen to the metaphors of safety and security that are richly interwoven in this verse. God is the place of perfect security. It's not that life can't reach us there. God is not a God of seclusion, sweeping us away from all harm and setting us far out in the reach of a world of pain and inexplicable circumstances. He is our refuge right in the middle of this kind of world. He is the place that grants us the place to be found and to find. He is our front porch. God is that place of perfect security in perfect insecurity. He is that place surrounded by enduring beauty, filled with his marvels so that we might not forget all that is good in all that is wrong. He places us just far enough from the world to muse at it while being separate from it to find a place from which to learn the lessons that we need to fearlessly engage it. In him, there is a quietness that doesn't deny the cries of a hurting world, 
but a quietness that keeps it all at just enough of a distance to grow in it, but not be consumed by it. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life, says the Bible. That can only happen in just such a place. In our grief, God affords us a place like that, a front porch. And this place is strong enough to weather all of the grief that life can throw at us. It is entirely sufficient. It's a place quiet enough, safe enough, and sufficiently spacious for the keys and compass that we need to be handed to us in a manner that we fully see them, fully embrace them, and allow them to fully impact our lives. The front porch isn't a place of safety, but a place that creates enough space for the miraculous to have plenty of elbow room. It's an odd, indescribable, nearly inscrutable thing to be able to feel the searing intensity of a life unraveling and to feel it all in the midst of perfect security that affords me both a path out of my own lostness and an opportunity for amazing growth. That is what God affords us in our grief. It is a most marvelous thing indeed. Paul took it all in stride. He smiled, laughed with a contentment at the life he had been able to live, glanced at the trees and vast expanse of lawn covered in falls, flaming bounty, and said, It's been a good life. It really has. Dying fully at ease. That's what he was doing. He exemplified God's security in a most marvelous way. God in our grief, that's what I saw in him. I know it works because I saw it in Paul. Mom exemplified it all of her life. The front porch created a place safe enough and expansive enough to see it. Because I saw it, I was released to release that which was being lost to me. I was unexplainably released to come alongside my losses and tearfully, yet boldly, escort those very losses to their next place. Thanks for joining us today. You will discover an autumn's journey, deep growth in the grief and loss of life's seasons, as well as all of my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. It's my hope that you find these books as meaningful and restorative in your life.